0: What you want more than anything is you want to meet people with different experiences. And I've always sort of found you would see things that you would not automatically
1: have come across. Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast. The podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. I'm Scott Challoner, and in each episode I'm joined by a director, a CEO, a CFO a government minister, a chairman, a president, and who knows, maybe one day, the director general of the World Health Organization, once the whole COVID-19 outbreak is blown over, and I do get a chance to get a word in edgeways, that is. The aim here is to discover who these people are, the people who get up each morning and make this country work. We discuss everything from the challenges of living in a locked down nation to changing regulation, and of course, the innovation and success that makes it all worthwhile in the end. We also get their take on the current economic and political landscape here in the UK. I'm delighted today to be joined by Chris Holmes, Managing Director of Bricknells Letting Agents in Rotherham, South Yorkshire. Since it was originally established in the year 2000, Chris has seen some real changes in the residential lettings industry, with over 150 pieces of new legislation introduced between then and now. If I'd only scored as many goals as that during my high school football career, I probably wouldn't have the privilege of being involved in this conversation with Chris right now. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, I introduce you to Chris. Homes. So, Chris, welcome. Great to have you on the programme with us today. Thanks a lot. Absolute pleasure to have you. Now, Chris, you're a residential lettings agency in South Yorkshire, of course, with roughly about 12 employees under you. With everything going on with the COVID-19 outbreak, how have you found the last couple of weeks?
2: Well, I think it's probably been, fact, uh, it's been pretty challenging. Um, We've been um, obviously watching the news as the, the situation developed and we took the decision um, beginning of last week to relocate everybody from home. That meant um, getting a few um, Chromebooks in, laptops, um, getting all the remote access to the CRM system. Um, and we've been doing that for the last last week now. Um, I've been coming into the office to um, open the posts um Check the files. Should the girls need anything, do any printing, sending letters out if needed. Um, so it's been pretty challenging, to be honest. Um, but I think, in fairness to it, I think it'll probably make us a lot better because the girls now are pretty conversant with Zoom calls and all the the means of remote accessing. So I think it'll probably make us a better letting agent going forward.
1: Absolutely. It's certainly certainly going to change the way that uh, business operates uh, day-to-day for sure, and certainly going to change things up um, economically. Um, Very much so. Certainly getting on to uh, the point now, Chris, I understand that when you meet with uh, landlords in your profession, a very hot topic is often how government legislation is actually penalising those in the private rental sector. So, what sort of issues, for the benefit of the listeners, are landlords facing in that respect?
2: i think i get um a situation where landlords just say to me that they're not making any money anymore um i mean you know the the section twenty four tax changes that came in um where they're not able to claim mortgage tax relief is hurting particularly the higher paid taxpayer the three percent stamp duty is um, stunting development of people buying second homes for buy to let and remember as well that the, the back of that market probably started in about the late 90s and those landlords were sort of 40 to 60-year-olds. Now those 40 to 60-year-olds are 60 to 80-year-olds and probably the 80-year-olds are looking to exit the market. And I am finding that landlords are looking to sell. They've just seem to have had enough of it all at the minute. Obviously, regulations is good because it, it regulates the industry. You know, the electrical safety checks coming in are going to be a good thing. Um, but I think it's just one thing after another that just keeps hitting the situation and um, as I say, landlords are just finding that they're just not making any money anymore and and at the end of the day it is a business and they do need to make a profit
1: Absolutely, now uh, regulatory compliance is of course vital but um, I think it would be good as well to touch on how over-regulation in the sector is also causing issues and weighing down on businesses, so how would you say that that's causing problems at the moment? Well I mean, it's just that we seem to I, – I, I don't know. we I mean, in the
2: past, we've had God knows how many housing ministers. Um, we just seem to have a sporadic patch of regulations coming in, um, which means that we've got to scramble, we've got to train, we've got to learn, we've got to educate everybody to do them. Um, so it is quite challenging at the minute just to keep abreast of all these things that are they're happening. Um, you know, as I say, we do invest in our own agency in a lot of training, but it, it does really mean that we have to keep on top of the, top of the game. And if you're not if a professional landlord, landlord that's been doing it for a long time, you will struggle to keep out of these regulations and you will possibly fall foul of them eventually. But it's, um, it is becoming quite onerous at the minute.
1: Absolutely. And um, that turnover is uh, quite alarming, isn't it? Especially in housing ministers, because I think in the last 10 years, we've had about 10, haven't we? And um, only two of those, am I right in saying, have only been in post for over two years?
2: Yeah, I mean, very much so. You know, it, it, I mean, obviously now the, the situation is the COVID-19 um, outbreak, and obviously we've all got to get through that. But I would like to see that there was um, somebody there that was going to really take the housing sector to the heart and really make a difference and and make it um, a benefit to landlords, tenants, agents, everybody, and that it can be regulated, it can be a professional, and it can be treated with, you know, just as it needs to be, one of the prime pillars of society housing. It's it's got to be. Um, As I say, hopefully once we get through it, um, we'll be able to focus on that and then move everything forward.
1: Absolutely. And something we should mention as well, Chris, is the fact that the RLA and the NLA did issue a joint statement recently calling for immediate action to reverse the decline in supply within the industry. Um, what has made that necessary? What has happened in the sector to cause that? Um, landlords are selling more than they're buying, but what are the main issues behind that, do you think?
2: Well, as I say, regulations, um, the fact that the tax changes have impacted the, the, the bottom line, um, you know, at the end of the day, landlords do need to make a profit. Um, you know, I mean, profit, unfortunately, sometimes is perceived as a dirty word, but, you know, landlords do need to, it is a business. They do need, do need to make that profit. The, obviously the, the regulations coming in, um, the demands of tenants as well is, is, has gone up the expectations. That's why, as I say, it, it needs to be a balance to everything. The, 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 The landlord and tenant's expectations all need to be balanced. And that's why, you know, if we could really get this housing market sorted out um, so it was a benefit to everybody, it would make a lot of sense. Um, But as I say, at the end of the day, it is quite onerous being a landlord and some people who are not professionally minded in that respect uh, are wanting to get out. We are seeing lots of sales of, of rental properties going forward.
1: For sure, and um, it seems to be the case that there's far more confusion around the sector than confidence at the moment. I think that's fair to say as well, isn't it? Especially with confusion about yeah. compliance levels, but also that discussion yeah. around Section 21s as well.
2: Yeah, I mean, I mean that's, that's obviously something that, that's at the back of people's minds. Um, you know, the ability to get access to your property as of when required, and, and if they abolish Section 21s, which okay is, is possibly a good thing, but they do need to be able to make it so that the access is attainable through courts. I mean, they did talk about doing um, a particular housing court that was going to fast track things, possession issues through the through the um, through the courts and things. But whether that will happen, I don't know. As I say, everything at the minute is all on hold for this COVID-19. And I just wonder how long it's going to be before things really get back to normal. I mean, hmm. the um, the medical people were saying six months, I suspect by the end of the year, and um, maybe things will get back to normal and things can be talked about again in the
1: housing sector. Yes, absolutely. Um, tell me in your view, uh, Chris, um, is the industry as a whole as well viewed through the lens of the London bubble, would you say?
2: Yeah, very much so, I think. Um, I mean, here in the North and South Yorkshire, um, our rents are, in, well, particularly where we are, our average rent is £500 a month, or £504 a month. Um, far cry from London. So you can imagine once you take any agency fees out, if you take any mortgage things out, there isn't a lot, a lot left. Um You know, it's and I do think that um, the whole um, housing policy is driven or perceived through that London bubble. Um, We're we're far, far a different place than London in the north here. Very much so. Rents are a lot less. Um, Salaries are nothing compared to the south. It's a far different place.
1: It is certainly. And um, what hopes do you have for the sector with the spring budget coming in um, as well, Chris? Because there, there must be some kind of master plan, or you'd hope so, uh, for the government to address this issue, must
2: there? I don't know. To be honest, will, be, will the government be in lockdown? Um, I don't know. It's difficult to to understand exactly what's going to happen. Mm. Um, I. I did think that possibly stamp duty might be abolished at some stage. This um, 3% levy, I did think that that might have gone, um, and possibly in the autumn, maybe. But as I say, with all the um, release of funds now for all this um, COVID-19, I'm just trying to understand exactly where it's all going to end. Um, and I'm not really sure what, if there's anything going to be given away, more, more like all that. Um But we'll have to see what happens. Um, As as the weeks and months develop, to be perfectly honest, it's very difficult Mm. to predict anything at the moment.
1: It is, absolutely. And um, it's it's been very disruptive and it could well mean as well that the new Chancellor and the new Housing Minister don't have the time to thrash out any policies to really make yeah. that budget work. Um, but I think it should it's important to see whether when the budget does come along, whether there's a revision of existing, um, an introduction of new policies that do show that the government is serious to mend the sector. I mean, that's something that I think yourself and others within the industry would really like to see, isn't it?
2: I think if, if we, you know, got uh, the housing minister really took it to his heart to actually converse with um, people in this school, like the RLA, NLA, um, agents, you know, agents in towns, got out and, and met people and understood at the grassroots level what is happening and then took those um, conversations back to Westminster and really fleshed out some common sense policies that enable the industry to thrive and move forward going on for the next decade. Um, it's, it's important to, to get to know what the grassroots are doing, not only in London, but as I say, in the north as well.
1: Absolutely right. And landlords through their national associations and agents as well, they all have a part to play in contributing mm-hmm. to that introduction of policies and regulations as well, because these are the people that the government really has to be listening to, aren't they?
2: Very much so. Very much so. I mean, our professional organization our um, does converse with the, um, the government and you know, is really trying to hopefully influence in the way government thinks um, because, as I say, it is a balance. Um, you know, it's not just a vote catching thing to get the tenants on the side. You need to bring the landlords as well and it needs to be a balanced approach to the whole housing policy.
1: Yes, it uh, certainly does. Now, um, Chris, this um, podcast is very much um, all about um, the topic of uh, leadership as well. And we've talked a little about uh, a little bit about already the challenges that you've had trying to steer um, your business through the, uh, the COVID-19 outbreak. Um, but also at the government level, we've seen some very contrasting approaches to addressing the outbreak at the same time as well. So for example, if you look at Xi Jinping in China, if you look at Giuseppe Conte in Italy, they were very proactive in putting their countries on lockdown quite quickly, whereas it's taken us quite some time here in the UK to impose such measures. We've taken very much a less hands-on approach. We've had procedures in place. We've had money there. But in many ways, we were just waiting to see what happens for the first few weeks. Um, If we take that sort of away from times of crisis and taking that away from politics as well, in an everyday business context, what would you say your Leadership style errs more towards Chris. Do you prefer to just jump in straight in, get on top of things, or do you tend to let things play out a bit, see how matters develop, and then take any action that's necessary?
2: Well, I think our first priority was the the safety of our staff, to be perfectly honest, um, and that meant that we were needing to um, lock down the office, uh, get people working from home. Um, we're very conscious of the. Um, financial implications, employment implications of our tenants and that they possibly have problems in respect to making rent payments. So we we are very amenable to help and assist in every which way we can and we're prepared to listen. I think communication is the key. Um, we've sent letters out to our landlords, um, anybody of our landlords that are 80 plus or 65 plus or needs help and are housebound, and we're here to help. Um, it's very much it's it's a community project at the minute. Um, we are a local letting agent in South Yorkshire. Um, we have tenants, we have landlords, and we have staff, and we all need to be communicating with each other. All the girls are on a Zoom call at 9 o'clock in the morning mm. and see what we've got. I'm sending letters out if there's any uh, landlords needing help or tenants needing help. Um, So it's very much um, we're all in it together. Let's ask how we can see we can help each other.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And um, with um, everything that's going on in mind, but also the challenges facing the industry that we've discussed um, already, um, what advice would you give to somebody who is looking to start up a business in your field, Chris? Uh
2: to start up a letting agency or to, buy, or to become a landlord?
1: Um, to start up a letting agency or both even. I think, I think it would be quite nice to actually um, hear um, the advice that you give to, um, to both of those um, individuals. So we'll start with somebody who's maybe looking to start up their own letting agency business um, to begin with.
2: I think, I think it's, it's very difficult um, at the minute to, to start up on your own to organically grow. I think if you were looking to start a letting agency business, I would look to acquire a letting agency business mm-hmm. because I'm sure that agents, just like landlords, some of the agents um, are feeling the pinch. Um, we've obviously had the tenant fee man. Um, letting agents with possibly a portfolio of about 100 properties um, might struggle you know, financially. Um, And it might be that this is the final straw now, this um, COVID-19. And it's possibly, I would look to try and acquire somebody um, rather than try and set up right from from scratch. Mm. As a landlord, um, again, there are landlords looking to exit the market. There are investors looking to enter the market. Investors are always looking for the um, below-market value price, um, which isn't necessarily compatible with what landlords want to release it for. But there are bargains to be made out there. Um, You know, as I say, we we do sourcing um, agreements where we look to source properties for investors um, that are good buy-to-let properties. So, yeah, I mean, there is is opportunities out there um, to be a landlord. Just be aware of the regulations and, you know, ideally tie up with a good agent that will be able to guide you through all the pitfalls. Mm. Not easy out
1: there. Definitely not, Chris. And, but what you did bring up there quite interestingly was also the uh, the ban on uh, letting fees as well. And that's something I think mm. we can talk about for the benefit of the listeners, especially. Because we've heard um, sort of data from the likes of Belvoir, for example, larger um, letting agents here, that they've essentially managed to shrug it off and they're doing quite well. But for those smaller operators within the industry, that may not necessarily be the case.
2: No, I, th- I think if you're, I mean, if you have, you just imagine, do the numbers. If you have a portfolio of a hundred properties and your average rent is five hundred pound a month, um, then you're not bringing in a lot, an awful lot of income to pay for an office, um, possibly a salary, um, and there isn't much left. Um, you know, so it does hurt. That's why I said earlier that you know people perhaps perceive everything through the London bubble where mm-hmm. rents are substantially more. Um, whereas, you know, we're in South Yorkshire, the northeast, the northwest, um, we don't live in that bubble. And, and it is hard to make money, very hard. And, and you have to watch your costs, you know, really watch your costs and trim your costs and review your costs every minute of every day to make money.
1: Absolutely. So the key for landlords, um, especially in terms of retaining them within the sector, is very much making sure that they do have a return on, on their investment, isn't it, basically?
2: Oh, yeah, yeah, without a doubt. Otherwise, there's no point doing it. Um no point doing it.
1: Yep, yeah, absolutely. Um now um Chris, um we've obviously talked about the uh, the COVID-19 outbreak and we've talked about um good and effective leadership um directing through that especially um within um, your industry. Um with that in mind, do you think that good and effective leadership on a business level especially is as celebrated as much as it should be in this country because when we think of good leadership and we look at political figures, we look at celebrities and these are people who are very much in the public eye, very much receive praise and criticism as due. But at a business level, quite often, good and effective leadership goes uncredited. It goes unseen, doesn't it?
2: Um, well, it's what we do. I think it's um, you know, I mean, being a leader of a of a business. One, I mean, certainly in Lettings, the only thing that we have is our people. Um, you know, and that's why we we invest heavily in our people. We invest heavily in training. Um, looking after them, making sure they're abreast the of everything. Um, and it's so important to be able to, to support them in times like this to make sure that they're, they're safe, um, and that they're, they're supported in all the things they need. Um, as I say, I'm in the office now. Um, if they need a file out of the thing, then I'm here to do that. Um, but it's what we do. We have to do it. Um, and particularly now, it's, um, it's so important to get through this, this bad time.
1: It certainly is. Um, I'm going to just go back to um, also your uh, review article um, as well, Chris, because for those who haven't read it, I think um, you mentioned in that that you'd seen a lot of real changes between starting in the industry and now. I think there's over 150 pieces of new legislation that have come into the sector in that mm. time. Um, when you were starting out within the industry, did you imagine that you would have to grapple with such difficulties?
2: Um. No, I don't think I don't think anybody really thought that too far ahead. To be perfectly honest, I think it. Um, yeah, I, I, no, I don't think anybody thought that too far ahead. Um, but it's certainly um, you know gas safety and all these things are, are are really important things to to do. I mean, the, the things that I, I I still have a little bit of an issue with is Why don't we put carbon monoxide um, detectors on on every property, irrespective. Um, and obviously the electrical safety checks as well, um, which all which be going to come in. Make a lot of sense.
1: Absolutely. Um, because you also say in uh, the piece as well, uh, very specifically, that all of that regulation is in itself a good thing and it's very, very long overdue. But it is very much getting landlords entangled in bureaucracy really, isn't it?
2: Yeah. But, you know, we, we are letting agents. We are professionals. Um, And, you know, in many respects, we're proud of what we do. Um, We want to get it right. Um, So for me, you know, I welcome the regulations. Um, As I say, I do think that, you know, sometimes they're somewhat disjointed. Um, But certainly, you know, if you're not a professional um, letting agent and you've inherited your mother's house and you're letting it out, um, you'll never keep abreast of all these regulations. And, and you will fall foul of them at some stage. So it, it, it is difficult, but the regulations in itself is a good thing. I just wish that somehow it was all joined up to come to a conclusion where we had a, a professional, um, professional industry going forward.
1: Yes, absolutely. And I think that's something that the uh, the government should definitely uh, look at doing once the, uh, the COVID-19 outbreak clears. That should really be mm. the end game that we're looking uh, toward there. Um, so we talked about some of the challenges that you've had to uh, grapple with then, Chris, um, since you started out in the industry. Um, on a more positive note, could you give us maybe one or two personal highlights uh, from your time at uh, Bricknall so far?
2: Um, my goodness, that's a question. Um, I mean, as I said, you know, the the girls doing the training and all coming out with certification, um, you know, we we do a lot on social media where we have um, various things that are happening. Um, We're we're moving in a National Health Service nurse on uh, Friday. Um, We're taking around a hamper of stuff just to say a really big thanks from all the staff. There's lots of things that, that that happen on a daily basis, I suppose, on a weekly basis, but um, I can't honestly think of anything that sticks out um, in my mind at the minute.
1: It's interesting there that you mentioned uh, training, because um, I think in a lot of other industries, Chris, there's um, the skills gap is something that's um, very well documented. Of course, there are issues with recruitment in various sectors. Is that necessarily the case for your line of work as well, or do you not really um, encounter such issues?
2: Um I mean it's so important to you know to 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 get the the training right so that you can actually operate your business within the the, the realms of, of of just getting it right because it's so easy to fill in the form wrong and if it went to the court it would be get thrown out. So, you know, the training and making sure that we do things right is so important. Um, and it's something that we do every six months. Um we we reinforce um the the girls go through individual learning plans, um, we do skills matrix to assess where they are. We look at um continually reviewing their progress um and motivating them to ascend to up the scale to get better and better and better.
1: Absolutely because um in terms of leadership, um this training is about making sure that this next generation of people are going to be the next term um, leaders within the industry, isn't it and that's also incredibly important mm-hmm.
2: yeah, very much so you know I mean you know I'm, I mean I don't want to be here um, for the next twenty years um you know so you know we have to be bringing forward people who are able to take the business forward um you know in, in the next next the next long, long term. Um, so it's important that this training is kept up and the skills are um, reinforced so that we're able to bring the next generation through.
1: Absolutely, because uh, fundamentally, I mean, becoming a leader in any industry is very much a learning process. Um, like some might believe, people who are great leaders um, in what they do, leading figures, they're not just born with those qualities, are they? It's something that has to be developed and really honed throughout time.
2: Yeah, I think so. You know, I mean you know, we, we start them off we start the girls off on as I say, on a skills matrix just to assess where they are, um and then put the learning plan in place so that they can improve where they are, where they do need improvement. Then we monitor that and um and, and it's motivational for them as well because they can see themselves moving up the um you know, up the ladder as it were, and getting better and better and better and, and they want to improve. You know they they want to improve. So for us, that you know that that's fundamental. And, and as well as managers, it, it means that your staff are able to you know self motivate, work on their own, and obviously at the moment in crisis like we're all at home working, it's paying dividends. They all know what they're doing.
1: Absolutely. And you talk about motivation there um, as well, Chris. Um, with yourself being in a leadership position, what would you say um, are the big motivators for you uh, personally?
2: I think it's personal communication, to be honest, Um, you know, to be able to, I often say you can't criticize without praising people, and so when people do a good job, tell them to do a good job, Um, and you know, it it doesn't need to be a great big um, thing, just a hand on the shoulder, a pat on the back, um, means the world to some people, and it means the world to a lot of people. So, you know, for me, it's that personal communication, I think, is the most important thing.
1: Absolutely. And I think that personal communication links in very well to essentially a workplace culture, doesn't it? Creating a culture of positivity, a culture where everybody's speaking to each other. So you can really, therefore, get the best out of everybody around you. That's really, really important as well.
2: Yes, teamwork. It's everybody supports everybody. Um, You know, if one, one seems to need help, then people will... Um, pick them up and dust them down and move them forward. So it's actually creating that culture in the office. And it it works.
1: It works. Absolutely. And as you say, it's really paying dividends now when everybody might not be in one place physically, but everybody is working and making sure that that communication is maintained, especially now. That's massive, isn't it?
2: Yeah, the Zoom call in the morning um, sets the tone for the day. Um, And then, you know, then the girls can get on with things. We do pair the girls up. Um, and the, the girls look after a portfolio of properties, so whilst if one's ever off or sick or whatever, then um landlords can get in touch with the the other girl that's still in the office so it it does work, and it's um as I said particularly now with it's just everybody working from home.
1: Absolutely. And we've talked about um, the procedures that are in place at Bricknalls at the moment. We've talked about that workplace culture. We've talked a little bit about your own leadership style as well, Chris. Um, would you say that there are maybe any figures within the industry or anybody of prominence that's maybe had an influence on your leadership style in that way?
2: Um, oh, Hard to say, to be honest. I mean, I've, I'm, I've been 30 years in, um, in construction um on building science before I came to the letting industry. Um and I've met various managers over the years who've taught me various things. So there's none that stick to stand out but um but that's where my my organisational um abilities and motivational things have come in. It's from thirty years in the construction industry overseas um and in the UK.
1: Excellent. And you think that it's quite easy, therefore, to essentially transfer skills across both of those industries, Chris. Or would you say it's a little bit more challenging than that?
2: I think so, because at the end of the day, it's a people business. Um, You know, you you get things done through people, and therefore you need to be able to motivate people to be able to do things. Um, And those skills of personal communication uh, motivational skills are transferable and can be learned.
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, now, Chris, um, I am conscious of uh, running out of time, uh, but before we do uh, look about wrapping things up, um, do give me an idea of what you imagine the next year will hold for yourself or Bricknalls, and what you hope to achieve in that time, not just through the outbreak, but also beyond that too.
2: Um, I think that once we get through this, um, bad t- I think this, this bad time is a, is a holding time at the minute. It's looking mm-hmm. at our costs, um, trying to trim that, um, making it leaner and meaner. I think once we're through this, um, I think that we will be spending a lot of time during this lockdown period in respect to communicating with the, the marketplace, um, a lot of social media posts, Um you know, so that when we get through this, hopefully people will remember um, us at the back of our mind. And when we come out of it, then we'll need to start actively marketing to try and get more properties under our under our belt, under our agency. Um, we'll have come out with a leaner, meaner machine on the cost side. Um, I'm hoping that the market will then start coming back in respect of property sales, Um and as a consequence then possibly landlords looking to get back into the market and hopefully to increase our income see what the government come up with um, in respect of the autumn statement um, and, and let's see let's see let's just get through it and see where we are but we will be concentrating this lockdown period on a lots of marketing looking at our costs um, so that when we come out of this then we're, we're ready to go out of the lots so that are of not
1: absolutely that has to be the focus for business at the moment but also we all have to hope that the government doesn't essentially neglect the industry and once that statement does come out it has remembered it and knows what needs to be done and it can essentially pick up uh, where it left off in the um, the industry and really take that all uh, forward. Um, Chris um, I have to say it's been really insightful and also an absolute pleasure having you on the program and learning from you today and I think it would also be fantastic to have you back on the program in a few months time just to see how things have been Panned out and look at all of this retrospectively. So, once again, thank you so much for taking the time to come on today and speak to myself and also share this information for the benefit of the listeners. Many thanks. Thank you. Absolute pleasure, Chris. I hope you all enjoyed my interview with Chris, and especially learning more about the challenges facing the sector and how the whole team at Bricknell's Letting Agents continues to raise standards. Now, if you've not heard it before, coming up is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with England's hero of the 1966 World Cup, Sir Geoff Hurst. Now, Sir Jeff, as well as playing for both West Ham and Chelsea, remains the only man to this day to have scored a hat-trick in a World Cup final when England beat West Germany 4-2 at the old Wembley Stadium back in 1966. I hope you enjoy listening just as much as Jonathan enjoyed speaking to Sir Jeff. Here it is now.
2: Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, uh, who do Google me. Realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex, uh, for, my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago, nineteen sixty-two, I think that was. So I didn't. And... Um, yes, I, I didn't really feel anything at the time. It was lucky to be playing, I guess, with one or two injuries. Um,
0: It can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him?
2: Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, how he read that um, And of course, uh, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that calibre can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's that's quite purely the case.
0: Absolutely. And in those early days um at West Ham, uh, with a with a manager like uh Ron uh, there it's also important to have uh uh confidence with
2: Which uh, was absolutely, but I can use that now but it, it is quite funny.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we another time then. But we. Um, uh, well, you want me to tell you if you sorry. want?
2: You want? You got time? I can tell I go, you if you want.
0: Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh, doing it at a dinner in, in the
2: channel Islands, three or 400 people, black tie dinner, uh, guest honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about 20 minutes, then allowing uh, questions.
0: What a question. What a question.
2: Well, I think that would be definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we have a laugh about yes.
0: that. Uh, well, uh, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with things like I found it
2: amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well, so it did, uh, um, it did make it again,
0: If you could put, put up with my questions, you could probably put up with uh, anything. <laughs> um, but th- there would have become a point, though, um
2: All the time, it's a huge part of your life. But if you, I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level. You may, you know, have a, wait, have a couple of weeks' holiday, but I'm even sure if it's these top managers and leaders, leaders in all walks of life, are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not. Uh, there's they will not switch off for for two weeks um, and completely.
0: Excellent. Uh, Another time, uh, it would
1: be great to talk again.
2: Thank thank you, Jonathan. Thank you.
1: As always, it has been a pleasure both listening to and learning from our guests. I and Jonathan hope you all enjoyed listening. And until next time, myself and Jonathan are off to the Westminster Arms to raise a glass to raising standards. Or at least we would be if all of the pubs weren't closed as a result of the outbreak. So unfortunately, Jonathan's front room will just have to do for now. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. You can find every episode on iTunes, YouTube and Spotify. The views expressed by each guest in the podcast are their own. They do not represent the opinions of the Parliamentary Review, Westminster Publications, Lord Pickles, Lord Blunkett, David Curry, or any other guest on the podcast. If you'd like to know more about the Parliamentary Review, please visit www.theparliamentaryreview.co.uk.